Hey, everybody, this is Scott Schimmel, and I'm the co-host of the Dream Big podcast with Bob Goff and friends, and I'm here with my friend, Bob Goff. You are indeed a good friend, uh, Scott, and I'm so glad that we get to uh, have these conversations on this podcast with other friends and hear what they're learning. Well, we're talking about big dreams, and we're talking about walking through steps that you can take to go from defining your big dream to actually realizing it and living it. And the month, the theme that we're talking about this month is called exploring opportunities. And one of the things that I've noticed in having these conversations with folks as they pursue their big dreams is a lot of times uh, you might assume that your big dream is out there in the world. And what if your big dream is actually here? What if the, the opportunities for you to learn, to grow, to become who you're supposed to be are right where you are? Yeah, sometimes you think it's around the corner, down the street, just out of reach. And it takes a, a moment of quiet contemplation to say, what do I already have right now? And you might look around and see in your family and your friends to say, wow, I'm actually some of these biggest ambitions I've already achieved. And you can say, are there others? that I've been just uh, thinking about, but what's the way to get there? And exploring opportunities is a great dialogue with uh, uh, new and old friends about how did you get there? How did you figure out what that ambition was and what were the next steps you took? Well, that's a theme of the conversation we're about to listen to between you and Rebecca Lyons. Yeah, uh, just a, an amazing woman, uh, a dear friend, along with her husband, Gabe. And uh, they have a, a, a truly magnificent family that just got a little bit bigger with the adoption of Joy. And you're going to hear about her. This is a uh, podcast that I spent just time just enjoying mm -hmm. talking to Rebecca about what she's dreaming about. And a life and the circumstances haven't always been easy. And so yeah. sometimes uh, those are the conversations that lead to the, the greatest kind of revelation for me. What did you do when it got really hard, when you were really confused? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if you find yourself in a similar spot in life or have been through something difficult, this conversation is just going to be for you. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for making time to spend together. I get to see you on a video here, and I just love seeing your face. You just represent so much that's good in the world and so much authenticity. So thank you for being on the podcast. Of course. Anything for you, Bob. Thanks for having me. And I love that you have your Pepperdine Law shirt on. We have to let everybody know I teach a class at Pepperdine Law School on failure. So law school oftentimes is about win, win, win. Uh, but the rest of my life is about what do you do when it went really wonky? And, and so I think that is one of your outstanding characteristics has been your authenticity. And you just like don't care what it looks like. You say the way it is. And I think if we could have more people... Uh, freeing, uh, feeling free to do that, then we'd really be onto something. So will you introduce yourself uh, to uh, everyone? I've known you just as a friend, a courageous mom, an adoptive parent, a author, a speaker, like it's almost unfair. Like, wow. <laughs> I like to introduce myself as a late bloomer. None of this began until about six years ago, but uh, yes, my name is Rebecca Lyons, and I do have four children now, all the range from 18 years old to five years old. And, and one of those is a new addition. Yes. Joy Lyons came home from China with us three months ago. 
So we are still getting to know each other, uh, but she is a joy bomb that literally has invaded our house. <laughs> we laugh all the time. She's amazing. And it's just, I think it's taken me back a decade in the best of ways. I was scared I wouldn't have energy for it, but she's somehow, I'm finding it. <laughs> so when you think about exploring opportunities, I mean, wow, you wouldn't have to go very far in your life to see right. an opportunity. How did that come to pass? Sure. Well, our oldest son, Cade, who just turned 18, uh, was born when I was 26. And I found out six hours after he was born that he had Down syndrome. So that was my entree to motherhood. And it was a traumatic day of you know, emergency C-section, failure to thrive in the NICU for a week. And so at that point, we were just fighting for his life. The diagnosis was secondary. But obviously, because it came as a surprise in my mid-20s, it did change our trajectory immediately. And I remember the day I got the confirmed diagnosis, they send off the geneticist testing, it takes a week to come back, and I will never forget the day I got it back. And I, I looked at Gabe and I just said, everything's changed. And I don't even know what it is, but I just know whatever I thought it was, it is not. And now we're in this adventure. And so when we got this idea to adopt Joy, 17 years later, right? Um, I remember two years prior to that pulling into my garage and I remember kind of teasing with the idea of adoption back and forth throughout our marriage for about three minutes every three years, but nothing we were ready to move on. And I remember telling God, if you want this to happen, uh, put her right here in front of me, like show me who she is and I'll name her Joy. And so last December, 17 years after we got Kate's diagnosis, I get a text of a little girl from China from my friend Meredith. And I was like, out of nowhere, I was not pursuing adoption whatsoever. We thought we'd be empty nesters in five years. And I said, she's adorable. Why are you doing this to me? And I said, what's her name? And she said, Kara. And I said, do you mean the Greek name for joy? And she said, oh. yes. That must have been so crazy. I mean, because everybody that's listening, do you get this idea? Like most people are pumping the brakes after graduating your 18-year-old and you're reaching for the gas pedal. You say, like, let's do this again. I don't know that I was reaching for the gas pedal. You would have thought that that would have like been like, oh, okay, God, we're doing this. You did exactly, you, you met all my ultimatums. But still, even within a couple of days, would want to creep in, but Gabe just kept saying, which my husband, he's like, I believe this is an invitation into something. And his leadership in that, I was kind of laughing. I was like, you were supposed to be my out, like of all, of all people who would go, <laughs> he's like, yeah, heck I think no. we're good. And he's like, no, I, I'm in, I'm up for this. And so the Lord kind of worked that out in my heart. We celebrated our 20th anniversary a couple weeks later. And, um, and I remember this moment, this pivotal moment with Gabe, right when I finally said yes. I said, I feel like I felt the day I got Kate's diagnosis. I feel like I've been thrust back into that same 26-year-old mind and heart. And I said, and I remember feeling so afraid because everything was going to look different. And I said, this feels like that again. I thought we knew the next decade or two, but now all of a sudden we don't. And yet... I, it's not so scary because we've had Kate. So the girl we were adopting had Down syndrome. So we have a child with Down syndrome biologically. And then I wanted to be able to choose Down syndrome 
17 years later. And I said to Gabe, I said, I said, it's not so scary because we have Kate and perhaps, and then it hit me and I'm all emotional and he's just smiling at me from the other side of the room. And I said, finally it hits me. And I said, perhaps God gave us Cade 17 years ago because he knew he'd bring us joy 17 years later. And we would say, yes, (laughs) that just takes me out. (laughs) (laughs) And then Gabe just smiles. I'm a crier anyway, but like, dang, the rest was history. Talk about uh, the right person to talk about exploring opportunities. Sometimes people think exploring opportunities is putting your backpack on and going on this terrific adventure with a flashlight and it's going to be awesome and all that. But you had to overcome some real fears, no doubt, to save and um, and uh, the uh, diving into ambiguity. I mean, are you and ambiguity like really good friends? Do you go everywhere together? Pretty much from yeah. now on. I mean, it feels like it's been that way since we moved to New York, even in our mid 30s. That was a midlife reset. It's people who are ready to jump, even when it doesn't make logical sense, just because they can't shake it. And it requires some level of sacrifice and trust. And so we're like, yeah, if we can't shake this, it's like sand in our shoe, then we should probably follow that. And I know you believe in that, Bob, because you jump out of planes. <laughs> it seems like a pattern for you, though. You have a beautiful community. Everything's awesome in Atlanta, wasn't it, at the time? And then right. you said, let's move to New York where we know no one. Right. Uh, and then. So I think I'm looking for meaning. And turns out I find surrender instead. And today I know that meaning follows surrender. We often want these lives that are full of meaning and passion and purpose, but we're unwilling to yield the life we're currently living. And that was a challenge that I think the Lord put in my heart when Cade was born. And then it's been a pattern ever since. So when we got to New York, I have uh, anxiety and crippling anxiety and panic attacks. And that was a season, again, that was uh, uncharted, didn't have any idea that was coming. And the Lord even took me through a healing season after that. And that is actually what launched my career. Can we just... <laughs> Crazy. Can we pause on that for a second? Because as of the time that we've spent together, you're just always like, you know, authentic, but composed and people wouldn't be thinking there's a bunch of anxiety that had been in your past and all that, and to just, uh, for the people listening, to just not assume everything's awesome in people's lives. Uh, The people that know me uh, see me wearing this Boston Red Sox hat everywhere, and they don't know. It was like a promise that I made to my neighbor uh, that was going to be with Jesus that I will wear a hat. And so if I go through New York, and evidently you New Yorkers like the Yankees, and so they'll like hiss at me and they don't know I'm wearing my neighbor's hat. Like if they knew what was really going on with a guy under the hat. And so uh, a word of encouragement for people that uh, to just pause and to just assume that there's more going on. Did you feel like people knew you or was that a very lonely, isolated time when you're in a new city, young kids? No. I left my family, my friends, my home, my community. There were a few handful of people that we knew coming in, and they were wonderful. There was a group of four of us that met every Tuesday. We called it a Bible study, but it was definitely a support group with with some scripture and prayer every once in a while. But yes, I felt largely alone in what I was walking through and didn't really have language for it for people. 
um, until I came out of it. And as I came out of it, I was able to put language around it. What's the, uh, what's the difficult part about, uh, when you go through something that's really hard and then you need to like talk about it and write about it. Is it reliving it? Is it really painful? Is it very healing? Is it a little of both? I found that writing about it was very cathartic. So my first book was emotional because I cried as I wrote it, but it was healing at the same point. So a year later, I wound up writing that story. But originally, I wrote an article coming right out of the season of panic disorder. At that point, it had been about a year, just shy of a year and a half. And I wrote an article called Why Are Women Fading? And it was just this description of how I felt. And I felt so many just like me who, in their midlife season, you know, they, they reflect and they find that they are, you know, remember marching off to college, just full of ambition and dreams and excitement. And 20 years later, they find themselves becoming this small version of themselves. They're kind of shrinking back in life. And they're, with that comes this sense of purposelessness. Uh, you're caring for everyone else, but you've somehow lost even your own dynamics in the process of that. So writing that, and then it spurred into writing a book about just chronicling that crash and burn moment, but actually how it birthed way to meaning and purpose in my life. And I believe that calling is where our talents and our burdens collide. And so talents, I was a, a reader growing up. I was voracious with books. I we didn't have a TV until I was in middle school. And so I would just read and read and read and learn later. My mom said when I was 32, she, I was rocking, she was pushing my son on a swing and she said, I always thought you'd write. And I was like, that would have been super helpful when yeah. I was picking a major. <laughs> Thanks for sitting on that. <laughs> I know, but it was there. And I think for all of us, and then of course the burden I felt was mental health because I'd watched this in my family, in my father. And then I have a son whose IQ is in the forties. So obviously the mind and just this being this whole version of ourselves that we can be was super important to me. And so that's kind of how my, my work began was from my own story and then connecting the dots where I fell between my father and my son. Yeah. You're really good at surrounding yourself with people. It seems that are able to uh, share their ideas. Like you make safe places. I could talk to you about anything. Um, the talk about the importance of that in your adventure. We're talking about exploring an opportunity, but you can't explore an opportunity unless you have a safe place to explore it and some safe people, maybe people that don't tell you what to do, but remind you of who you are. Right. I, th I think speaking life over each other is the biggest thing in friendship and community. When we are sometimes so close to something, we can't see our strengths. I needed my mom to say that. I needed other people. I needed Gabe to remind me. I needed friends. I had journaled in the middle of the night for two decades trying to process life. And I found writing was always my way of healing. But I never would have thought that that could be a vocation until some people started saying, you got to share the story. You got to, um, don't shrink back from this. 
And so safe places to me are people who speak life over each other to say, hey, when you talk about that specific thing, your countenance changes, you come alive, you're, you're very dynamic and excited. You need to explore that. You need to pr press into that. And then I think, Bob, you and I have talked about this as far as safe places. We need somebody to celebrate the highs with us and we need someone to sit with us in the lows and, and find people who are willing to rally on both extremes as, as well as just the everyday fun. Yeah, they're willing to go you there. find that, yeah. pardon? Yeah, they're willing to go there. Just people that'll change gears. This is just a sunny day and we're just hanging out. It doesn't need to be yeah. deep. It just, we're just a couple of friends talking. But in the times of crisis, they'll say, uh, tell me about your pain. And not only that, but let me express to you some vulnerability to say, I may have uh, experienced some difficult things too. Maybe not the same things. That's one of the hallmarks of, uh, in our friendships. When we've had conversations, you don't talk about how you, you've, I don't think I've ever heard you say, I know exactly how you feel. But to just say they're like, I'm there with you, uh, that's got to be painful, those kinds of things to re to receive those things and say, this is a safe place where you can express more. Right. Absolutely. And I'm learning to do that with our kids. They're teens and you just want to be available in any given moment when they decide they're ready to open up. And as long as I give them my ear, I find that our relationship stays strong and I'm hoping I'm just praying that that continues because I want to be a parent and a, a friend and a wife that is available to listen and be there, you know, just be there when the, when the, when the urge does come up to share or to, to confide in. Yes. When there's that moment, like it just happens. And one of the things that you're so uh, in touch with how you feel, even when we're having conversations, I can just tell that you're very in touch with how you feel all the time. And that's a really good thing because you're less likely to miss it. I went on a boat trip and I uh, wasn't that keen about going all the way to Glacier Bay, but we finally got there. It was time to see the glaciers fall into the water. But I'm so into people. I'm like Tigger. So I'm having all these conversations and somebody would say, did you see that? And I'm like, no, because the glacier fell in. And then I'd get, I'd be off track again. They'd say, did you see that? And I think of this idea, the difference between preparing and being ready. And I want to be ready, like uh, you want to be ready when the kids want to have the conversation. And one of the things I've noticed is must be present to win. And one of the things that I noticed in your life is you started kind of saying, well, you're very sought after to come and speak at events. You started pumping the brakes on that a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I think that ties into this idea. You want to explore an opportunity. You must be present to hear the opportunity. You need to see when the glacier falls, not be distracted by everything else. Absolutely. Uh, I love to teach. I had no idea how much I loved it until I started doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because both of my parents are teachers. Um, they've taught many subjects, multiple master's degrees, but I always thought of it conventionally from a classroom. And now here I am. The craziest thing is my panic attacks began on an airplane and now I have to get on an airplane many Fridays to go talk about um, overcoming panic disorder. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So it's not Talk like about facing your fears. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I think God just kind of grins and laughs about, you know, like here you thought this thing was going to keep you on the ground. And now I'm actually asking you to do these things, but still with this invitation of joy or adding to our family, this season in particular, I'm certainly pumping the brakes and even looking ahead, knowing Pierce has two more years of high school, knowing Joy's still getting acclimated to our family. Attachment needs at least six months to begin to form with a girl who's never had a mom and a dad or lived in a family unit. So, uh, so yes, it's taken a lot of intention to just be wise on what I say yes to or no to and be okay with, honestly, Bob, this is, this is vulnerable, but the temptation in my work is to just continue to push because you see all these other amazing people pushing. And yet I made a conscious decision that required me to like break. Yes. And, and I could, I could sit in that and go, Oh, I might not be in on all these different opportunities. And yet at the same point, I'm like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm needed. And this is where my heart is. And so last year, I just kept praying for my desires to grow in the area of just staying put and not feeling like I was missing out on things. Yeah. And it's been an awesome, it's been so good for my heart and for our family. You get to plumb the depths uh, as, uh, to say, why am I doing what I'm doing? So you don't want to pursue an opportunity elsewhere when you have one right in front of you. I'm like, I'm yeah. right here. Like you're all of your family yeah. saying that. And I know sometimes I mask a, a whole boatload of insecurity growing up by I learned early on, I could fill that with activity. So if I was just active enough, if I did enough, I was like the happy guy, then I wouldn't have to actually deal with the pain and insecurity of being who I actually am. And so what I could do is if I could make people laugh or if I could be really fun or spontaneous, then we wouldn't have to go through all the things I actually would prefer not to talk about. And so to have the opportunities that we each have sometimes exploring them means this like inward saying, saying, who are you? You don't need to camp out there. But I just love that you have been willing to do the time to say, I understand where these things are coming from. I'm learning more about it, but that self-awareness. So when little insecure Bobby Goff thinks what I'll do is a lot more activity <laughs> and I'll make people laugh and they'll be fun. And then I don't have to think about all these other things I don't want to think about. It's just worth a moment of pause. Exploring an opportunity is like exploring yourself. Uh, Absolutely. And then when you have a shot at doing something, to just do it and knowing that it won't right. always like work out the way that you thought. There was a, there's a gathering they do in London and I knew uh, the date I would be there. And <clears throat> so I wrote to the queen. I said, I'm gonna be in London on May 14th. If you're in London on May 14th, I mean, we should hang out, right? And I got a letter back from one of her ladies in waiting. If anybody's listening and want the address for Buckingham Palace, just let me know, I've got it. It's the lady in waiting wrote back and said, the queen is terribly disappointed that she can't meet with you. And <laughs> I'm sure it just tore all up. But that idea for an envelope and a dollar in postage, that idea of feeling engaged in some things, and you don't even need to leave the, the house. So finding opportunities doesn't mean necessarily going far away, but to know who you are and then to bring these 
opportunities you're surrounded, you made some of them and you adopted the other ones. Like to just say, what could we do from right here? And that's one of the things that I've so enjoyed watching your family navigate. You could be super high functioning at the same time, really intuitive enough to say, uh, where is that coming from? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And what do you want to be remembered for? And that I think is be the last question I have for you is I, so we've logged some years together. Um, tell me 10 years from now, tell me about Rebecca plus 10. Who's she? Oh, wow. She has another 15 year old. Um, that's true. Yes, that's true. Uh, you feed kids and they grow. It's just amazing, Bob, it's how that weird. happened. It's weird, like carrots. It's crazy. So tell me about you and Gabe. And you won't know what the, where God will lead each of the children. You just hope they're healthy and happy and sense God's purpose. But tell me, if we're having this conversation in 10 years, who am I talking to? Oh, man. You know, I hope, I pray that my legacy is one who believes in other people deeply. Um, I had a conversation with someone yesterday and she's like, why do you believe so strongly that I can do this? And I was like, I just do. I don't know why. I just see it in you. And I know that you are stronger than you think. And I know you're capable of it and you have it. God has given that to you to overcome this thing in front of you. So maybe, maybe that I'm, maybe that I just become this lifelong encouragement speaking life over other people, because I know how paramount that has been for people who've done that for me. It's just belief. I want to be someone who's full of faith in a way that is able to kind of just share that with whoever I'm talking to and go like, Hey, while you might feel inadequate or ill-equipped or like, this is so daunting, you're supposed to do this and you can do this. And I just want to be that for people. As long as I have breath, I want to speak life over them because that's what's been game changer for me. I know I felt like you are fully present um, wherever you are, whenever having a conversation yet, I know enough about your life that one or two rooms over joy is doing this thing. And you've got nine people that want to do this with you. And you're on the way back to that plane that terrifies you. And yet you've maintained your ability to be present in the conversations that you're at. Can you give one last idea about how to have people just do that? We're not going to find our opportunities if you're uh, elsewhere, like you're physically in the room, but you're actually thinking about nine other things. And I've just always noticed that about you, that uh, you're just wherever you are fully. How can you do that? How do you pull that off? We had to read a book last year to adopt called The Connected Child, and it's trust-based parenting, and it's all about connection. In fact, I write a whole section in this new book on connection and how it's all driven by relationships. And at the end, people are the prize. They are. I mean, we might think it's our work or our accolades or our reputation, but honestly, it's the connection that we forge with anyone, whether it's a stranger that we just met that day or someone we've known for two decades. And I just, I feel like I want to, because I'm kind of one track focused, it's almost easy for me to just stay in that conversation, eye contact, lean in, listen, ask lots of questions. I'm just so curious. And, and I think that's one thing a lot of us could be more when we, as we age, sometimes we don't stay curious, but you know, I had 25 teens in my house last 
weekend and I'm just listening and asking questions. Yeah. There's so much to learn from other people. So if we keep that curiosity, we make eye contact, uh, and we just lean in with this expectation of like, there's something here that this person has to offer that I can learn and grow from. Then I, I hope that that's just something I'm going to do until I'm I old. think you will. I and mean, you've been uh, doing that with me uh, forever. One of the things that I hope that people that are listening will do is, well, if some of these things had pinged you or you identified with, that you just be really kind with yourself too to know that you're uh, worth it to God, that you're valuable, that you don't need to strive for these other things. He just delights in you taking small steps. We were thinking about yeah. like, a, a, I just became a grandpa, you know, and uh, I've got this little uh, grandson and I've been wanting a grandson since I was in junior high school. A grand anything, I'll take it. Um, but what I'm hoping for him is that he'll be surrounded by people that can be honest and vulnerable and that will look with anticipation towards the future. And so that's my hope for you as we kind of wrap up that, Rebecca, you and every single person that comes and goes from your wonderful house just feels that sense of anticipation and that they know yours is a really safe place. And then if we can explore some opportunities in our lives and other people's lives, we would just create safe places for that to happen. So thank you for being such a good friend and for living just an extraordinary life. Girl, you are killing it. I just, and I love that you're just so in touch with how you feel. It seems like to me, just in all the conversations, man, people go there, but be kind to yourself while you're doing it. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. We love thank you. you love it to the you're family. Awesome. Bye. You know, it's easy when you listen to conversations and podcasts just to skip to the next track, go on to the next show. But this is one of those conversations that I just want to soak in and think about some more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I am such a note taker and I uh, will take notes on the things that pinged me, even go back and replay mm -hmm. something if I felt like I missed it to say, is there some application in my life to that? What is a time that I need to be uh, courageous in my life? Is there something right now mm -hmm. that I can be doing? And seeing the way that Rebecca has navigated some of the difficult things in life and uh, done them with uh, grace and poise. But also there's been times where it's just been just tremendously hard. Yeah. Boy, if that's you right now, will you just take a breath, mm -hmm. give yourself permission uh, to get those things out. Uh, if faith is a big deal for you, let God know all about it. Say, I just don't get it. If faith isn't a big deal for you, get it written down anyway and say, mm -hmm. these are some of the things I'm trying to figure out. One of the things she said was that there are big opportunities right here, right where you are. And I think that's what I'm picking up on what you're saying, too. Like sometimes we just need to stop and reflect and ask these bigger questions about my life now. What's what am I learning? What is uh, what are these people in my life teaching me? What are the things that I'm missing? Yeah, because if you're always looking at the horizon, you yeah. kind of don't yes. see where your feet are and. And uh, to look down and just say, to assess, where am I at right now? And, and how am I feeling about where I am right now? And then to confront some of those fears. If you wanted to go a little bit deeper with some of uh, Rebecca's beautiful writing, she has a couple books out there. You Are Free is the most recent book. Free Fall to Fly was the one before them. I've read them both. They're both excellent. And it's like sitting down with a good friend over coffee. 
what she reminds me to do is be really fully present, which is hard. That actually takes a lot of courage. I mean, there's so many distractions, especially when we talk about big dreams. We want to talk about the future. We want to imagine ourselves elsewhere. And it can actually be a really great discipline just to think about where am I? What am I experiencing? What am I feeling? What's on my mind today? And the best way sometimes to get that figured out is get a friend, yeah. go to Starbucks, make them pay, and <laughs> uh, and have the conversation to say, this is actually, you know, kind of all the veneer aside, this is what's really going on. Literally, I'm going to blow the foam off the top of the latte yeah. and tell you what's really going on. Well, next month, we're going to change conversation a little bit and talk about the next part of the Dream Big Framework, which is clear the path. But we don't want you to just to move on to the next episode. We want you to spend some time on this. That's why we have this giveaway called uh, Dream Mapping that's available for you in the show notes. It's on the website. And it's the same idea that you would slow down, pause, think, grab a friend and explore the opportunities around you where you can learn and grow and start moving down to make a plan for the ambitions that you have. Yeah, and every minute that you're willing to invest in, in your ambitions is <laughs> 10 minutes well spent. The most frequent questions we hear at Dream Big are actually really simple. The questions are this, how do I do it? How do I focus on my ambitions and bring them to life? How do I reorganize everything and move towards these dreams that are inside me? That's what Dream Big is all about. And we want to give you an actual resource that you can use so that you can move from your ideas and your ambitions to reality. So go to the link in the show notes, download a really simple workbook that you can use today.